welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Well, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. I'm your host, Troy. Glad to be back. Um, got some updates, and some are new, some are the same, but we'll dive into those real quick. Uh, first thing, as uh, as of recording this bumper, tomorrow morning we are getting on the road, and we are heading out of state to purchase some piglets. And you may be wondering, wait a minute, Troy, shouldn't you be having piglets on your farm right now? And the answer to that is yes, we should be, but we don't. Uh, we had a we had a bad farrowing, and we'll um, that's going to be another story. I'm not I'm not ready to get into that just yet because I'm still exploring what just went on there. So um, so yes, yeah, so we are actually going to go buy some pigs. So that's always fun, right? You know, you have breed stock hanging around, eating for free. You'd expect them to produce piglets, but um, no dice. But like I said, well, that'll be uh, probably our next podcast. I'll give you an update, the details of that and what we were able to do and what we've discovered possibly as the issue there. Um, another update, as you guys are aware, mentioned this uh, last time and a lot of you took advantage of it, but I want to continue to, um, to promote our business directory on the Pastured Pig website. It is free for you to go in and put your farm information. And if you put your information on and you think, well, maybe maybe I should spend a little more time on that or maybe there's additional updates I want to do, you have the ability to go back and log in and make edits to yours. So it's not a one and done. So if you get new pictures, like right now, this time of year, you want a nice pretty picture of your farm. If you live where I live, it's mud season. So there really aren't too many things that are pretty. So as you get uh, into the, the spring and everything's in bloom and you've got pigs frolicking on flower fields, then feel free to come back and update your uh, your images or anything else you want to update there. Um, the um, Also on the website, of course, is our pig gestation calculator. Drop that in there so there's an opportunity to use that. The... Um, the, also, I want to continue to extend the invitation for any guest blog writers. So again, just reach out to me, Troy at RedToolHouse.com, if you would like to tell a story, if you'd like to uh, write about something in particular. We could even joint write something if you wanted to, or you can take off and run with something. But um, there are some parameters that, that we have to have in place to protect ourselves. So just email me and we can get a discussion going there. All right, well, let's get into our conversation. Ooh, that may be a little hot there. Um, Today, we are talking with Kyle Peralt, and he's with a farm called The Ranch up in New England. And um, I really like talking with Kyle. He's, he's actually got a processing facility on his farm, and he's going to share the details of that. So let's jump right into that conversation. On this episode, we are headed north. We're going up into the great area of New England. We're going all the way up to New Hampshire, to Effingham, New Hampshire. And we're talking with Kyle Peralt of The Ranch is the name of his farm, but he also has an on-farm processing facility called The Body Shop. Welcome, Kyle. How's it going, Troy? Doing good, doing good. Did I get the last name right? Was that correct? Peralt? Yes. Peralt, yeah. All right. Yep, that was good. Yeah, you even, you even <laughs> told me that before I started recording and still thought I was going to mess that up. So, all right. So, Kyle, tell me about, uh, first of all, how are things up in New Hampshire? Are they, they cooling down a little bit yet? They are not. It was in the 70s 
at the beginning of this week. It's actually going to be like 65 tomorrow. Wow. It is absolutely nuts. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. That's that's kind of warm for this late for you guys. Yeah, but it's it's normal in New Hampshire. Wake up to 24 degrees and by noon it's 70. Right. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is what it is man you just gotta roll with it exactly all right well tell me a little bit about the ranch give me give me that forty thousand foot elevation view of what you got going on up there uh so the ranch is we do primarily beef and pork um we are a 14 acre it was a horse farm at one point um so we have a fairly size house with the barn attached with a handful of stalls um and when we bought the property we really didn't have it basically just had the barn um and the fields hadn't been taken care of the field is so basically the 14 acres is the house lot and basically open uh hay fields which has been amazing because it's been kind of like a blank canvas yeah um but but since we started putting in infrastructure we've probably fenced in i'd say close to six acres or so six or seven yeah between the pigs and the cows so and then we have two outbuildings on the property one is original to the property um it has like an old forge and everything in there that's mostly my storage area and then we also have a 70 by 30 detached garage with its own driveway that we've taken half of it and turned it into a custom uh processing facility yeah <laughs> very cool very cool now, i i gotta back up and ask you you said something about the barn that you say the barn is attached to the house like a traditional new england style yes it is <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool yeah i was visiting a friend up in peach and peachum vermont and that's the way his his was originally a big old huge dairy barn but uh, his insurance company made him tear down the connection between the two because of the, um, I guess, the disrepair that the barn was in, that that to have a policy on the house or to have the coverage that he wanted, he had to disconnect those in case there was a fire, I guess, in the dairy barn. But uh, No, I get it. Yeah, ours is, they say on the deed it's from the house's 1940s, Yeah. but if you go under the barn, it's poles that are, it's like basically trees that are just flattened on top right. that have got to be... 36 inches around it's crazy wow so yeah that's that's pretty cool that yeah it's fun so um i gotta say first of all that you don't sound is, is new hampshire your home town area you don't sound like you're from new uh, hampshire no i am from new hampshire well technically i was born in rhode island but i moved back up here at like six months old yeah. so i i was born in or i was raised in Meredith, New Hampshire, which if anyone knows where Lake Winnipesaukee is, yeah. that's essentially the town of Meredith. Um, and I pretty much bounced from northern New Hampshire to southern New Hampshire to now we're right smack dab on the as basically as east as you can go. You can see Maine from my uh, bedroom window. No, no so. yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. I, was, uh, I don't pick up on the accent, but when you say Hampshire, I do pick up a little bit of it there. So. Yeah, a little yeah, bit. That's pretty cool. All right. Yeah, I, I absolutely love New England. I, uh, we, we really enjoyed it. We were up there two years ago and just, just had a blast. It's a beautiful, beautiful part of the country. All right. Yeah, so, that's a fun spot. Yeah. So so let's talk about So in 2018, you bought this 14 acres. And um, 
so I, I know from pre-screening that you were involved in, in the processing industry. You've been involved in that for uh, over 12 years. But what what was the genesis of that? So you know, you're, you're kind of doing your day job gig. You, you're, you're working your processing thing. And, and, and uh, I don't know if your, your wife is employed or whatever. But what at 2018 was uh, the impotence to say uh, to, to purchase this farm and kind of go in this direction? Well, so I... I actually didn't get into professional whole animal processing until right around 2018. Mm. Um, I had always been in the meat industry. I started as a clerk at a grocery store and then got an apprenticeship out of that. I apprenticed for two years at a shop, a small shop. And then from there ended up working in like some quote unquote gourmet steak, uh, like marinated steak houses and stuff like that, where people come in and get marinated steak tips. But um, I ended up managing a bunch of those. But the entire time I knew at some point I wanted to get into whole animal butchery. And that's pretty much where it all started with starting out with rabbits and chickens and turkeys and ducks. And because at the time there wasn't a lot of classes and schools available to me where I up here Mm -hmm. so i just kind of learned with what i raised like the process on how to do that i can't tell you how many free deer i cut up (laughs) just to get just to get that experience and learn um and in 2018 we actually looked at this property in 2017 and my wife who had lived in the southern part of the state her whole life wasn't too sure about moving this far north and out here and we looked at a bunch of other places and they ended up about a year later we looked back at this place and they dropped the price by a lot and we're like cool we're gonna take it now so um but when we bought the property i knew we went into it knowing that we were going to build a processing facility and we knew we were going to raise livestock of some kind we weren't exactly sure what yet yeah very cool. Very cool. So, so I mean, obviously, uh, the um, the great opportunity to buy that land in 2018, you said that they actually dropped the price. You know, who would have thought that 20, uh, you know, two years later when COVID hit, then then uh, the property values would be going through the roof. And, and so it sounds like you landed on that just in time. Their realtor blatantly told us they dropped the price because of the location that nobody wanted to live out here. And I was like, we do, we do. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So, so tell me about, uh, so now that you got the farm 2018 and you said you knew you wanted to put a processing facility on there. So, so kind of which came first in this situation? Is it you, uh, I, I know you had the cows, you added the pigs, um, and, and I think you said you also take care of some, some horses that are maybe uh, rescue type situations, but, um, did you did you put the processing facility in thinking okay I'm going to process custom processing for for other people and oh by the way we're going to raise some animals or was it hey we're going to raise some animals and we're going to process everything here so we're going to be turnkey what what was kind of the the idea or the goal with that originally the shop was first I'm trying to think I'm trying to think about it now the shop was first um, at a very small scale um, we got a lot of equipment at a very cheap price because of people I had met along the way and people I had worked with. And I always say, it's not about who, you know, it's how you know them. <laughs> so, um, 
we gathered a bunch of that and then just kind of a little bit at a time built the shop up to the point um, of we were, I was working full time at a USCA slaughterhouse and on the side I would take odd jobs, random cows and pigs and deer season. I would be out straight doing that. And it was mostly just kind of a side hustle thing because it was, I knew, I know how to do this. Why not do it for ourselves with knowing also that at some point we'll be raising cows, we'll we'll be raising pigs and I'll be able to process here. So it was kind of one of those situations where it was like everything just kind of fell in to working, Yeah, (laughs) which is nice when that happens. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So, so when you're doing the side hustle type of thing, was that more of a mobile situation? Were you going to people and just saying, Hey, uh, I'm going to bring my stuff to you. We'll process your deer right here or the cow or the pig or whatever you run into. Or was it still at that point bringing it back to your farm? Uh, everything uh, was brought back to my brought back to the farm. Still is, essentially. I don't do much mobile stuff um, except for middle of winter. I'll venture out and do a little more. We don't have a refrigerated truck yet. So it's one of those things I don't love traveling with other people's meat in the bed of my truck naturally. So um, we have a small corral here that we do. The majority of my customers bring everything here. Um, But yeah, at the time it was, Hey, my boss would be like, Hey, this person's a friend and they need help. Like they just need this done. So I would do like a cow once or once or twice a month, a random pig here and there. I think at that point I was still doing like, I need help cutting up this turkey. All right, I'll do it. Like kind of one of those situations. <laughs> um, and thank God we've moved away from that. Uh, <laughs> I bet, I bet, yeah, yeah. I bet poultry, poultry is probably at the bottom of the list. I would think on on uh... it is it is absolutely at the bottom of my list. I probably have about six people a month. Go. So when are you going to start doing birds? I'm like, never. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Things got to get really rough before we go back to that. <laughs> things got to get real rough before I start doing that. Um, yeah. On in, in in all honesty, it. I have no problem doing them. They're fine. It is what it is. I honestly don't feel right charging what I'd have to charge. Right. Exactly. To process birds. Yeah. And. It's one of those things, I think it's just because of how I learned how to do all this, where in my head I just go, you can do this. Like, mm-hmm. you can absolutely do this. We're at a day and age where you are 30 seconds away from finding 17 videos on how to do this. Yeah. And when it's something as small as a chicken, where that's like the branching off point for 90% of people right. of getting into this, of farming, you're getting into this to sustain yourself and raise your own meat and have it be special and be a part of what you're doing. When it's something like that, I almost feel like it should be something where it's like, unless you're selling like mass quantities of poultry, that should be something it's like, you can do it. I believe in you. <laughs> right. I'll be here with any questions you have. Right, right. Kind of thing. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's a good point, too. When you think about poultry, like we process a couple hundred birds a year on our farm and uh, personal consumption and for resale. But looking at that and saying, well, okay, 
you start with the first bird, and you, you, for us, it's when we start with our first bird in the beginning of the season, it's like, okay, got to remember how I did this last year. And, and by the time you get to the fifth mm-hmm. or sixth bird, then you, you know things are starting to click. And by the time you're on the hundredth bird, then you're like, yeah, I can do this with my eyes closed. And that happens all over the course exactly. of, of a weekend. Whereas if it's a, you know, I, I've, I've only processed one pig and that was a 300 pound, uh, almost 400 pound boar this winter and realized I'd really rather never do that again <laughs> because it's just, it's just so different and so much work. And then you just realize you don't know what you don't know until you get to that point. It's like, I don't even know how to begin to break this down in this spot. So yeah, no, I, I watched, I watched the YouTube video. You did a pretty good job. Oh, I'm impressed. Oh, I destroyed those those hams because I wanted to cut them for grind. I just destroyed them. I was like, you know, there, there's obviously muscle groups I'm supposed to be cutting against and and and, and long, and it's like, no, no, that that was that was a that was a tragedy. That was a train wreck with a knife, is what it was. It's it's tough. It is tough. It's one of those things if you are not used to doing it all the time, that it is such a learning curve. Yeah. That. Once you get it, you got it. But to get there, it's a it's a tough journey. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I I'm sure. am so glad I don't have pictures of my first couple of deer I cut up. <laughs> I'm so glad. Yeah, <laughs> yep, that's right, man. So um, I, I want to do this, and and because I'm going to kind of maybe even go a full circle here, because I, I want to come back to this to a little bit more of your philosophy, and then I want to get into some of the startup discussions with your processing. Uh, but first, let's let's come back around. So we said that the processing, on-farm processing, was kind of your first focus, that, hey, we got this farm, we got this property, I want to put a processing facility in here. And at, at that point, it was like, okay, I'm going to put the processing here. Was it solely going to just be customers, animals that you were bringing in, and you maybe had some of your own farm animals here that were more pets? Or did you say, Okay, get this established. That's going to generate some revenue, so I can get some cattle, get some infrastructure, bring some pigs in. How did how did that kind of unfold for you? Actually, so we, I I knew we I knew at some point we would be getting livestock. I just didn't really know when. And then it was kind of forced. Probably isn't the right way to put it. I had a buddy down the road who was a customer at first. I did a cow for him, um, and he had two um cows that were calving out and his setup was not suitable it was the middle of february and he didn't have a spot i had two open stalls and i was like bring them over like i have i have the space and at this point it was just stalls i had no corrals no fencing no nothing and then um i was here i went out and checking on him and all of a sudden feeding are sticking out. So I give him a call and I was there for the whole process. And I think at this point, our daughter was under one. She was a baby. And, uh, I, at that moment was like, Oh, okay. This is going to be a part of our lives forever. Like I'm doing everything. And around that time, I had also, um, decided to go sober. So I had stopped drinking and I was like, well, I'm going to take all of this addictive energy and put it straight into farming. And uh, my favorite quote my wife has ever said was, you were a cheaper alcoholic. <laughs> so, um, but basically at that point, it was off to the races. Um, I built the corral very shortly after that, built our winter pasture, which is about an acre and a half right after that. And then the... It just started. 
Like it, we were off. I was off to the races at that point. Um, we had the old horse pasture hadn't been taken care of in years. So we had a bunch of birch and, um, Aspen popping up in there. Hmm. So I just basically went through with the tractor and leveled everything and really just tore everything up and put up our first major pasture, which was interesting and a learning experience for sure. Um, and yeah, so basically from that point on, we just kind of were adding and adding and adding and pigs are our newest venture this year. And it's looking like we're going to go all in on them uh, next year. So I'm pretty excited about that. Very cool. Very cool. So is it, is it kind of that thing where the, the processing, as far as farm revenue goes, the processing probably is the key generator of revenue, and you're just reinvesting that into expanded uh, livestock and infrastructure and those type of things? Absolutely. It's yeah. one of those things. I'm not, I'm not making much. I am hoping we're going to break even on the pigs this year. Yeah. Again, it's all a learning curve. It tried to figure it all out. Um, but, yeah, I'm definitely trying to catch up on the livestock side, make it somewhat even. Um, but luckily my wife is a full-time nurse, so that <laughs> makes things a little bit easier. Absolutely. Um, you know, that's what I always say behind a successful startup farmer is a wife that has a nursing degree. <laughs> it, may, it makes me laugh every time you say it. Yeah, yeah. I look at her and I go, you are so lucky to have such a good participation trophy. <laughs> and she does not find it funny every time. Right, <laughs> right. You know, that's something you say, and I got to say, God, God bless you for going sober. But I, I, I would think, I mean, you're, you're going against the norm there. Usually people get into farming and that's when they start drinking. <laughs> oh, there have been time there have been some times that I have been like, whew, I've made some bad decisions. <laughs> <laughs> right. Is that, that that moment of clarity they talk about when you're like, ooh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ah, yeah. wow. Yeah. I made a mistake. Uh, um yeah, no, it's not too bad. <laughs> so, so tell me a little bit, before we get back into the processing discussion, tell me a little bit about your, your yep. pigs this year, what you started with. Is it kind of you just you went with what you could find or, or kind of what did you end up with and, and what really excited you about it that you want to kind of go uh, whole hog next year? Pardon the pun. No, I, I use that pun daily. Yeah. Um, so we, so I actually, so now I am now full-time on farm hmm. um, between – the farm and the process facility. Um, so basically when I made that decision, it was during when gas prices were starting to get high and I was spending three, $400 a week in gas just to get to work. And I was like, we can't do this anymore. And I told my wife, I was like, if we're going full time on the shop, we're going full time on the farm because it doesn't make sense to not like if we're going to do it, let's do it. Um, so we cleared a bunch of uh like there was some trees and stuff coming up we cleared a bunch of land there um luckily for this area we had a massive uh cedar tree growing at the edge of our driveway so i was luckily able to recycle a lot of that for the pig pasture um if you can call it a pasture right now it's probably about an acre and a half to close to two in an l-shaped pattern broken up into three different paddocks Hmm. Um, and we, off a recommendation from another local farm who we're working with, 
um, we got Herefords. I, I reached out to them and got some really nice Herefords that could be registered. We just didn't. Um, and my plan was in the beginning to be like, this is going to be my starter year. The closest I've been to pigs is when they're coming in the shoot and then all of a sudden I don't really have to worry about how pigs act kind of thing. So I was like, all right, we're going to, this is going to be my learning year. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden everyone heard I was raising pigs and like, we'll buy pigs. (laughs) And then the Facebook marketplace pigs came in and that is the last time I'm doing that. Right. So we ended up, we, we started out with five and, uh, very quickly we had nine. Hmm. So we had the five Herefords, we had uh, three Yorkshires, and a mixed breed. Hmm. And uh, it was one of those things where it's like, all right, let's figure this out. And uh, unfortunately, my plan was to keep them all together the entire time and rotate rotate them through the three pastures. But unfortunately, the Yorkshires were already about four months old when I bought them uh-huh. and the Herefords were only about eight weeks. So they, the size difference was not good and I did not feel comfortable having them in all together. And so the rotation didn't really happen. It just ended up kind of being, I had two separate paddocks of pigs and we're dealing with it until they started breaking through. And I was like, all right, I guess you're together. Then. Yeah. <laughs> to um, reach that point. Yep. I guess that's how that works. But uh, we definitely went into it in the mindset of we are commercially doing this. I know a lot of people on here, it kind of starts as, well, we're just going to see how pigs are. And, oh, actually, there's a market for this. We fully intended right off the bat. It's like we are going to work this as we can and try to be profitable with it. Yeah. Um, I have friends come over and look at my paddock because I had two other friends that were getting pigs at the same time and they'd come over and look at mine and go, you know, this isn't a first timer setup, right? I'm like, I know <laughs> that's because <laughs> we're keeping this for a long time. Right. I have, uh, I made myself two promises when I started farming. It was no dairy and I'm not chasing anything. <laughs> so right. we, we, when I make it, it's going Fort Knox or it's nothing. <laughs> that's exactly. kind of my philosophy on it. Yep. Build it once. I like it. Exactly. So are all all nine but, now, have, have all nine been dispatched and retired and, and you're pig free at this point? Are you overwintering any? Um, the first, the three Yorkshires in the mixed breed, they went in last month. Um, I was very happy with how those came out. Um, they look fantastic. And I mean, I've, I've cut up probably, I can't, I can't even put a number on how many pigs I've cut up. Mm-hmm. And I was very impressed not to blow smoke up myself but i was like all right i think i can do this like um so we still have the five herefords um three are going into the cooler middle of next month Hmm. and we're keeping over two sows okay okay so it's always that discussion of whether or not it's cheaper to buy feeder or keep sows and it's or keep guilt over. And it was honestly one of those things we were paying everywhere around here. I don't know how, what the cost was down there. Everywhere around here was, I think the lowest was $150 Mm, for 
feeders and I do not plan on paying for that again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a little on the high side. Um, in my experience down here yeah. in our neck of the woods, but interesting. So, so you've got two guilts you're holding over and I guess you just plan on maybe AI in them or, or you got somebody local that's got a boar that's going to have a date night type of thing or. Yeah, we are actually working with a farm out of uh, Alton, New Hampshire, Armstrong Acres, who I you should absolutely connect with them because they're fantastic. Mm-hmm. They specialize in uh, mangas and Osaba Island hogs. Oh, no kidding. Okay. So we are going to be stealing his Osaba boar for about a month. And we, me and me and Carlisle are working together, and it's one of those things I'm trying – we're playing Dr. Moreau here a little bit. <laughs> I want to, I'm really going for meat quality. I'm not as worried about size. Um, but we're looking to try and come up with something really cool that if it works out, we're probably going to try to do some selective breeding and try and kind of push that line down the line. Yeah. So, yeah. so you're looking at taking the Osobaw and, 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 and crossing it with the Herefords right now. Yeah, because you look, I mean, I love the Herefords. They're super friendly. They're built like bulldogs. Yeah. And they're just real hardy animals. And you got the Osabas where they're super weather tolerant. The food transfer is out of this world. He, I forget what he's up to in pigs. And we're close with how much feed we're feeding out. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. Like, so I'm hoping to breed some of that in, and honestly, meat quality. When it, it at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, I'm a butcher first, and I always will be. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm a sucker for just real good quality cuts and carcasses. Yeah. So that's kind of where we're at with that. I've I I think every single person I talk to is like, oh, you're going to be raising those things for whatever, and I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm hoping that that cross will cut the time down because Osabas they're probably about a 16 month right uh turnover so if i can get them down to nine or ten i'll be happy so we'll see how it goes <laughs> yeah yeah i mean that's that's gonna be really interesting and and i appreciate i appreciate your approach to that of being a being a butcher first and saying hey i'm looking for carcass quality because you know it, it'd be different if it was just uh just raising meat for yourself but you know this is this is livelihood. So when you look at, uh, you know, right. I, need, I need to be, I need to be niche. I need to be profitable, I, I, and I need to have a great product. Then, yeah, no, I know. I appreciate that philosophy to say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take that challenge of a of a longer grow out time in exchange for being able to produce some quality carcasses in the process. Okay, and it's, I just have like just the new experience of raising like. The Yorkshires we raised out, they were fantastic. They were super nice. But, I mean, I think Big Mama, the biggest the biggest guilt we had, she dressed, she dressed out at 273. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I was very lucky that the person who was buying her wanted a lot of pork. Right, <laughs> and I was exactly. like, perfect, fantastic. <laughs> but it's, I would almost rather have something with a slightly lower carcass rate that eats a little less and gains a little more and raise more of them. Yeah. It's that gamble that you're taking of how are we going to do this? Because you could all of a sudden pump through a bunch of Yorkshire every year. And again, there's nothing wrong with the breed. They have 
they have great meat. I, again, I've been cutting, I've been cutting them for absolute years and I don't really think I've seen one that's been bad. Actually, I do take that back and we're not going to bring it up, Yeah, but, yeah. um, it's, I definitely want to try something special and we're going to see how it goes. Yeah. Make sure my wife doesn't kill me before the end of it. Very good. <laughs> cool. Cool, man. That sounds good. That sounds like a good plan. And it sounds like you've, uh, that first year was, was a good experiment and good results there. And, and it's given you information to move forward on. I like that. So, so let's talk about, let's talk about the process. I want to come back around to starting the processing facility and I, and I'm not going to ask you for blueprints on how you got everything going here, but there are some questions because I find this extremely intriguing. So first of all, New Hampshire is, is it a state inspected state or is it not state inspected? You've got either customs and USDA or do you have the state? In, in the we, we just have custom and USDA. Okay. So we don't have state inspection, which I wish we did. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's getting tough up here right now. Mm. I think we're down to three. I'm going to call it three USDA facilities. One burned down last year. Mm. One is teetering. I'm not, I'm not going to speak ill of anyone. Right. It's just, it's iffy. Yeah. Um, but there are two, very good facilities. One I worked at for four years. Uh, and yeah, so it's, and there's, I can probably count on one hand, the amount of reputable custom facilities mm. in the state. It's yeah. a, it's a, it's a, it's a low market for sure. Sure. Right. Right. Yeah. That which, which makes it tricky. Obviously not having state inspection. Of course, you know, New Hampshire is a small state. I can see where that there'd be some, rationale behind that but still it 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 would uh it would give more options so so obviously you're a custom facility and and yeah i don't think we need to get into why you're not usda because of all the expense and all the hassle that goes along with that and just the size the scale you'd have to be to justify that expense but um so so, absolutely so let's talk about custom a little bit so obviously that means you can only sell holes and halves and technically since you're raising your own animals you're technically selling the animal to the individual and they're obviously you're putting the processor hat on and they're they're paying you to process it on their behalf if if i remember the syntax of how all we're we're supposed to discuss that when we utilize custom processors exactly it's two separate receipts yeah so that's how that's how i explain it you you can give me a pile of money but at the end of the day these are two separate receipts that you were leaving here with and that is how that works. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I would think like like any any uh, business that involves the manufacture or the development of a product, then there's probably equipment that, okay, here's the bare bones that I, that I need to get started. And then, of course, here's the stuff that, you know, that's like a pin up on the wall that at some point I'm, I'm buying that. I'm getting that because that's going to make my life much easier. What, what did you run into? I know you said you kind of acquired equipment as you're going, but what were like the absolute bare minimums? You said, I got to have these things to get this thing off the ground. Um, the biggest things, and they actually all came at once. Um, I worked for, like I said, that gourmet uh, butcher shop for a while. I ma- I ended up managing three different locations for them. Hmm. Um, and after I had left, I was still friends with the manager and they were shutting down one of the locations. And he goes, Hey, are you still planning on starting your shop? And I'm like, I was open to, and he goes, 
well, good, bring a trailer because I've got a deal for you. I have a lot of quote-unquote broken equipment. Wow. Um, and we ended up with a Hobart 250-pound capacity grinder. Mm. Um, I actually ended up with the bandsaw that I learned how to cut on a bandsaw with. We ended up getting that. Wow. Um, multiple cut benches, freezers, uh, a laundry list of stuff, uh, deli slicer, and I think, if I remember correctly, it was about $1,400. Oh, my goodness. Because of it being broken. Kind of one of those situations under yeah. the table. Kind of, thanks, buddy. Wow, that's like a shop, so, uh, that's like a shop in a box. We got very man. lucky. It was amazing. Yeah. So, I definitely went into it with, I need a high-capacity grinder, bandsaw, benches. After that, the biggest thing is a walk-in. Yeah. And we ran a cool bot for a while, probably about two years we ran a cool bot. Hmm. And it had its challenges. I understand the good things about the cool bot and the bad things. We were going through about an AC a year. Hmm. Wow. Just with how much we were running it and this, that, and the other. And when you look at the maintenance fees and everything for an actual compression, like a compressor system, it almost works out. Um, but we were still running the cool bot when I decided to go full time here at the farm. And in the middle of summer, the AC gave out and I had to cancel a bunch of appointments. Oh, wow. And it was one of those things where it was like, all right, we got to pull the trigger on this. And we ended up uh, installing a full condenser system. Um, and it is amazing. I wish we had done it from the very beginning. Um, it has absolutely changed my entire business wow. for sure. I'm able to hold over a lot more. Um, I'm able to take in more business because I'm not worried about an AC given out in the middle of the night kind of thing. Like, I'm able to have a lot more security with my customers and their products because of it. Yeah. Um, That's great. That is, it's hands down the linchpin of the entire business. If I didn't have the walk-in, I wouldn't be in business. Yeah. So, So, yeah, no, I mean, that's incredible. So that, I mean, that's, um, goodness, it sounds like Providence to to be able to get all that equipment for 1400 and then, and then be able to, to move over into that uh, full setup with the, the compressor system and the, the full walk-in. Uh, yeah, man, yeah, talk about hitting the ground running. Good stuff there. We, yeah, I don't do anything. Uh, we're going to dip our toe. I dive right head first. I, I don't know how many butchers you, you've met. We're all kind of cut from the same cloth, and we're all a little nuts. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I guarantee you. Your butcher at some point in his life had a nicotine and caffeine addiction if he doesn't still. Yeah. So yeah. it's just kind of that like, cool, we're just off and running. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's one thing that, that always, you know, it's just always in the back of my mind. And I'm going to ask you this and it, it's kind of a little off track, but it's something, especially with a custom shop and the fact that you, you, you're not state inspected, not USDA, so there's not much else you can do. But so, so what do you do when somebody says, hey, I want a whole pig from you? And so you're like, okay, do you want all of these things? Do you want 
the organ meat? Do you want the offal? Do you want the lard? Do you want the trotters? Do you want uh, jowl of the head? All that type of stuff. And and in our experience down here, a lot of people are like, well, I'm not quite sure what to do with all that, so I'll I'll pass. So what do you do in that situation where you've got a lot of things that people don't accept? Does that just end up in your personal freezer? Does it just go on the discard pile? Now, obviously, you can't individually sell those things. So how do you navigate that? It depends on what it is. Um, we'll keep, if uh, customers don't want organs, we'll keep organs. I I like organ meat, and then we have, we got a gaggle of dogs here, so it doesn't go to waste. Um, and things like trotters, stuff like that, it's not a big market up here. Um, so a lot of that just kind of goes into the discard pile. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, we're, we're not in the process. It is going. We uh, have a composting system that we're working on mm. and trying to perfect and get that working. So basically, I take all of the offal and everything that's left, and basically, just we have a large pit in the back corner of our property that I just mix in with wood chips. It gets turned every time I'm out there, and it's actually it's. For a while before I was legit and kind of running under the radar, it was kind of just dig a hole, bury it kind of thing. And I started doing this compost. And honestly, my waste has gone down significantly. Yeah. Mixed with the mixture of the wood chips. And we do a lot of beef. I process, I average probably one to two cows a week. Um, and with it being a large ruminant, that stomach is just full of grass and all that acid. And it really just more than I thought it would really just boosted that compost to the extreme. Interesting. Um, so it's work, it's been working out really well there. Um, but yeah, no, it's one of those things where I, for the longest time I've been having to explain cut sheets anyway, right. just because of having the facility. So it's fairly easy for me to sit down with someone and really break it down. What this is, what that is. And I blatantly tell everyone, I'm like, I can do whatever you want, but what do you eat? If you, if it's just you and your wife and you like this, then get that. And don't worry about this. Like you don't need like, if that if you're not going to have picnic roasts, put it in the sausage. You can make pasta sauce. You can do whatever you need to do. Um, so there really isn't much left over. I'll I definitely try to work in everything I can out of that animal to my customers in any way I can. Yeah. And I'll try to talk them into something new. I'll I I've printed out recipes before. I've sent links. Just kind of like. Hey, try something new. Like, you don't have to, but I promise you this is going to be delicious. Right. So why don't you give this a try? I'll just do one on one side and grind the rest or do whatever else. But I definitely, that's, it's what I enjoy most out of having my own facility now. Because I work completely solo. I do everything from the bullet to pulling it out of the freezer for you. Mm. Um, so... I thoroughly enjoy sitting and talking with the customer. I 
absolutely tell every one of my customers, you are welcome to stay. You're welcome to see the process. You're welcome to help. Like, I am more than happy to answer every single question that you have um, about it because I'm probably, at least in the U.S., maybe 1%, maybe less than 1% that does this on the level that I do. And I sometimes take it for granted that it's like, other people don't know this. And especially if you're raising your own animals, I highly suggest you go out and either do it yourself at least once or watch someone do it who's at a skill level to where it takes 45 minutes to get a cow from the corral into the cooler. Like, because it's something to watch, (laughs) to watch a cow go from a cow to beef. Indeed. Yeah. Or like a pig to pork. Like it's something where it's, Oh, okay. Something happened there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just it's not a magical process where it goes in one room and comes out the other without uh, without any human interaction. Yeah, exactly. No, there is an aggressive amount of human interaction involved in that. <laughs> so, what about value added services? Where do you find yourself on that? So, obviously, with with beef, you know, you you get it hanging, then you cut it up, you grind it, you cut the steaks, all those type of things. With with pork, obviously, it. You've got an opportunity for additional value add, so smoking and curing, the you know the bacon, the hams, the jowls, all those type of things, and then of course uh, stuffing and brats and all those type of things. So, so what what gives you an absolute headache, or what's like, man, I can value add this at some point, or I'm already doing that, and it's really going to help me with my bottom line. Yeah, so we have a smokehouse. Uh, my wife's uncle built us a smokehouse, and I actually just yesterday ended up putting it on a trailer so I can actually move it around my property a little bit easier. And I also can't get taxed on having something on a trailer. (laughs) So, um, but, uh, we're looking into smoking all of my customers this year. I am giving the option of, I will smoke your bellies for free. As long as you know, I've never cold smoked before. So you're going to get bacon but I don't know how good it's going to be. I promise it's going to be decent, but I'm not going to tell you it's going to be the best bacon you've ever had. Um, And it's one of those things where I was really really full bore into like, we're going to do our own bacon, we're going to do our own hams. And the hard part is, when it comes back to it, I'm still a butcher first. And at the time being, the shop is what is bringing in more of a profit than the holes and halves. So it's one of those things. I have contacts to multiple different smokehouses around the state. I I have multiple pamphlets printed out of recipes, how-to guides, stuff like that. I would absolutely love, because I I am a full proponent of the more you know, the more you work kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I want to learn it all. I want to learn every single process that there is involved with an animal like absolutely because i want to be able to do it all i want to be able to hand hides do bacon do all of it Mm. um but at the time being where i am still solo working um doing everything i just don't have the time to designate to all right so while i'm cutting up these six deer i'm also going to be regulating the smokehouse temperature 
and making sure I don't overcook these bacon and this, that, and the other. Um, so we're going to, we're going to venture into it. We're going to, I'm definitely going to be learning how to do bacon and hams. I just don't know if at the moment is going to be a value added. Um, sausage at the moment is kind of the same beast. Um, I basically at right now just do, uh, sweet and hot Italian just to make my life easy. Um, I have made an ungodly amount of link sausage in my career, <laughs> right. an ungodly amount. Um, and I can do it with my eyes closed. And it's one of those things where, again, I can do it with my eyes closed, but it, if you're doing sausage, link sausage and you're doing it right, it's at a bare minimum, a two day process. Yeah. And right now I don't have two days. I don't have two days to rub together. So, um, at some point we will be doing link sausage and I will be expanding that. I will do bratwurst. I will do summer sausage. I will do things along those lines. But right now my bread and butter is getting as many people through the shop as I possibly can. Sure. Along with being a stay at home dad the other half the time. Yeah. So it's juggling a lot and uh, we're trying to keep it as bare minimum and get that as good as possible. Like, get it to the point where everyone knows what we're doing and the level that we're doing it. And after that, expanding from there yeah. and really starting to blow people's minds and be like, oh, okay, this is something different. So yeah. that's kind of where I'm looking at it. Oh, yeah. And I think, I think there's tons of wisdom in that, man. Perfect your systems, work out all the kinks get it to where like you said you could you could do this entire process blindfolded and then when you've got that nailed down then look at these expansion opportunities because yeah I, I agree i yeah, the the sausage stuffing all that value added you you can charge for it but it comes down to time and you know you can't charge for something you don't have so if you don't have any more time then it's that it's kind of tough to justify that and you don't want to get the burnout where you're out there at three in the morning stuffing sausage because you've committed to that uh, process and, and you discover you're upside down when it comes to time. And that's the biggest thing. I mean, my, my boss at the time at the USDA facility was goes, if you're going to do link sausage, put a charge on it and put it at a charge that people don't want to buy it. Exactly. But guess what? <laughs> people still want to buy it. It yep. does not matter. Yep. I last year I was still doing link sausage and I had a customer come through with a black bear and that player was just under 200 pounds. Mm. And I was going through the cut sheet with him. And he goes, do you do sausage? And I go, yep. I do sweet and hot. And he goes, do you do links? I go, yeah. And he goes, okay, perfect. And I go, so what do you want for cuts? And he goes, oh, no, I don't want cuts. <laughs> and he got the entire 200-pound bear. Stuffing the entire bear. <laughs> and I was like, it was such a double-edged sword of like, oh, God, this is not going to be fun. Yeah. And then the other side on my shoulder was just going, cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. Exactly. <laughs> this is going to be the most expensive bear in New Hampshire. <laughs> that was some good sausage, though. He gave me a pack. I was like, all right, I did all right with that one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great, man. Very cool. Well, all right. Well, Kyle, I want to be uh, I want to be sensitive to your time. So, but I do want to ask you. So, so what do you think? What's the next five years look like 
for the ranch and the processing shop. I don't know if I mentioned the name at the beginning, but you guys, his, his processing shop is called the body shop, which I think is hilarious. Um, so, so what's, what's the next five years look like? What are you, what are you thinking? Um, honestly, I'm kind of going day by day at the moment. We have, we have a four four year old and a nine month old who currently isn't sleeping. So I'm just trying to get to tomorrow on most days. But, um, Mainly our goal right now is um, we're in the process at the shop. I'll start at the shop first. Um, our, we're in the process right now of getting a essentially a, a slaughter floor set up in, on the backside of the building. Um, I've got multiple garage doors around and on the backside there's a garage door. We're getting a concrete pad poured with a uh, engine crane so I can do Everything I need to do there, um, right now I'm doing everything off the front of my Massey Ferguson, which it works. And at the time when it was onesies, twosies, it was like, oh, this is fine. And now that I'm hanging out under that bucket a lot more, I'm like, yeah, I don't like this as much as I used to. Right, exactly. So we're, uh, we're, you got to trust those Massey hydraulics too. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So that was, that was an easy sell to get my wife on board to sign that check. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're essentially doing that. And my main goal, like I said before with the shop is just kind of to get to the point where we're running as smooth as we possibly can. And I would honestly love to find, um, someone local, like a, someone in their late teens, early twenties who just wants to learn something and figure something out and is super serious about it um and kind of take them under my wing and apprentice them because it's to find anyone to work right now is absolutely impossible and for me i would rather work my fingers to the bone than try and half train someone who's going to end up leaving in six months yeah so our main goal is to find at least one person to come on um, part or full time, uh, and just kind of be able to build up the, build up the clientele and kind of just expand a little bit in the end. I really don't want to expand too much. Um, my main goal would be to really do the majority of our processing and have that take up quite a bit of my schedule to get a routine of where I'm really pushing stuff out the door from my field right, yeah. and really try and capitalize on that. Um, but yeah, so with that, it's just kind of chug along and try to survive. That's where we're going with that. Yeah. Um, with the pigs and the cows and the rest of the farm, we're definitely going to be diving head first next year. Uh, I am unfortunately more than likely get it doing birds next year <laughs> double back on that last conversation right. um but our main goal is we're going to be uh cordoning off a good chunk of the cow pasture that was all of that those saplings that were there uh we're going to be woven wiring all of that and breaking that up into multiple different paddocks and i'm going to be rotating my pigs through that um, I'll more than likely be putting chickens behind them and overseeding behind them. Um, and basically just from there, really just work outwards. We're expanding the cow pastures, probably another three acres next year, 
Um, and basically my plan is just to get to a point where I'm moving pigs behind cows and poultry behind pigs and really just kind of bring these fields back. Hmm. Um, we've been the first year of hay that we got was not great. It was not good at all. It was cut late. And even if it wasn't cut late, it just was not good quality. hay. we ended up losing a calf because of it. Hmm. Um, and it's starting to come back. Um, but my main goal is basically to get to a point where I can get a really, really, really good first cut off of our property and then just start moving animals across it. And every year just kind of build up that soil, build up that seed bank and build up that carbon that's in there and really just get to a point where we're getting, I think this year we got about 130 bales off of nine and a half acres. Hmm. Wow. I'm hoping to bump that up to about 300 plus. Yeah. That's my main goal with that. And, those are, oh, and those... definitely introducing some seed that's better protein and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And what a great, what a great metric to be able to measure. You, you can just, you see what kind of production you get as the years go along as your bail number increases. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. That's good. That's good. All right, man. Well, I, yeah, that sounds exciting. And, and goodness, there's a lot of things I'd like to circle back around with you on and, you know, after next season and, and kind of do a follow up and see how, how stuff's going. And, and my goodness, if I was uh, in New Hampshire anytime, I definitely would want to come over and check out your shop as well. You are absolutely welcome anytime. That would be awesome. Yeah. The, the boys we were just talking today about, uh, uh, they were saying we want to go back to New England soon, so uh, I thought, well, we we may get a we got may do a road trip again. So, well, you let me know, and we'll we'll take care of you. You got <laughs> that's right. right. Go hang out with the butcher; you'll never starve, right? <laughs> exactly. I can promise you that. You're going to be tired because you're working, but yeah. you will never starve. I oh, promise. Man, yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't mind getting my hands dirty at all. I'd love. I'd love to learn some more skills uh, with the knife for sure absolutely all right Kyle well I'm gonna let you go man if uh, do you have uh, do you have anything on social media or, or the internet can, can people find you out there on the webs somehow um, all of my sites are just on Facebook um, okay. the shops website is the body shop custom butchering and euro taxidermy hmm. um, and the ranch is I think the quick link to that is at the ranch pb yeah so okay. uh you can just search that on facebook and we sh- you'll find us right there so good deal good deal yeah i didn't even talk to you'll you see about my it. ugly mug on there so <laughs> yeah i didn't even talk to you about your taxidermy stuff that obviously that's a that's a little off topic but uh, I, you know personally i would like to talk to you a little bit more about that that's that's neat uh, the euros I, I saw um i don't know if it's a new trend or has been around forever but i saw somebody did a euro mount that was completely blacked out and i thought that's pretty slick looking <laughs> yeah i enjoyed doing it that's taking a back seat for sure yeah. um it's yeah i've gotten way too busy to watch water boil yeah oh unfortunately uh, i love it but i hear you yeah yeah you gotta you gotta pick your battles <laughs> exactly all right, man. Well, I'm going to let you go. It was it was great talking with you, and I pray you have a great rest of the week. Absolutely. Great talking to you, Troy. All right. Take care. All right. Well, I really appreciate Kyle coming on the show, and I got to say, he, he reached out to me earlier, just here in the last week, 
and invited me to uh, to come up to next time I'm up in New Hampshire to come check his place out. And we may even, uh, if we schedule it in time or are giving enough lead time, may be able to to put a uh, pig or two on a hook. So um, I thought that would be interesting. That'd, that'd be some really good uh, video fodder as well. So always looking for any excuse to head to New England. I love it up there, especially in the summertime. All right. Well, as I always say, if there's anyone that wants to be on the podcast or a specific topic you'd like us to take on, by all means, let us know and we can check it out. Don't forget our Patreon. Uh, we've got some additional elements we've put out there with the uh, some of the uh, small focus groups that we're doing, uh, different tier discussions, those type of things. And we've got another one of those coming up. So if you want to be a part of that, uh, just support us. You could support us at the basic level, the $5 level, and you can be important. Uh, partake in, oh my goodness, you could participate <laughs> in that discussion when we have it coming up next month. Well, again, appreciate everybody listening. I pray everyone have a great week. Y'all take care. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com.